Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? <clears throat> okay, I say this every week. I'm going to say it again. It's a great passage. This is a fantastic passage. Uh, you're going to love it. So chapter 4, verse 31. I mean, there's beatings and scourgings, and, but it's a great passage. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this verse and its power and the verses that follow. I pray that right now, as our act of worship, you would help us to focus our minds, our hearts, and our spirits on what you have to say to us. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Today we continue with our series entitled Acts, 30 Years That Changed the World. Last week we looked at the amazing miracle of the lifelong cripple that was healed at the entrance to the temple with Peter and John. That famous statement that Peter made, silver and gold, have I none but what I have I give to you. In the name of Christ, get up and walk. The man got up started running around all over the place, jumping, jumping in the temple courts. Everybody knew him. They had seen him for years or decades, the religious leaders included, who had never healed him. I may have mentioned this last week. I'm amazed at God's timing, his providence, because Jesus had walked by that same guy many times and didn't heal him. Isn't that something? You just thought about that? Because Jesus had a plan. God had a plan for this guy. And his plan was after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ that God would be glorified and demonstrate his glory through Peter and John and heal him on that day. And it may be you have a problem in your life, you have an affirmity in your life that God is waiting until he can be best glorified through your challenges. And there are people like Paul who was never healed. He had a thorn in his flesh. We assumed it was his eyesight. But God was glorified even through that. And again, the goal of our life is not to have an easy life. It's for God to be glorified in our life. Now, this is a different sermon, but, uh, but I wanted to mention that to you uh, this morning. Today, we're going to look at what happened right after that healing. You remember they went, they went into the... Uh, they were arrested because the Pharisees loved to arrest people, apparently. They arrested them, and the next day they brought them before them and said, hey, you know, uh, by what name are you doing this? And then they got this big lecture from Peter that they, they didn't care for uh, about how the, the fact that they crucified Jesus and, and it's in the name of Jesus that he did this. Well, the, the cripple guy, again, who they all know, is standing there right beside Peter and the apostles, so there's really not anything that the religious leaders called the Sanhedrin. And the, remember, the Sanhedrin is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. And again, I have told you, it's kind of like the Democrats and the Republicans in Congress. They didn't get along very well, but they were the ruling body. They made the judgments. And so uh, they are there to, to make judgments on Peter and the apostles. But they can't say anything really because the guy's there. And everybody's happy and they're praising God and they're worshiping God. So what, do you can, what can you say? So they said, just, just stop that, please. And uh, don't, don't keep talking in that guy's name. And uh, they let them go. So the, the, 
Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, Peter and the apostles go back to the church, which is a church of 5,000 at this point, because when Peter did that, uh, when, when God healed that guy, Peter goes in the courts and he starts preaching and 2,000 more got saved. And so the church is at least 5,000. Peter goes back to the Christians, to the church, that big church service, and he tells them his testimony of what happened. And that, that is what is, is going on for our passage today. So today's message is entitled, A Guide to a Greater Day. A Guide to a Greater Day. I'm talking about every single day of your life. Today, this day, you don't have to wait till tomorrow. This day, tomorrow, and every day of your life, if you would like a simple, practical, theologically sound, biblical guide for how to have a better day, a greater day, here's your guide right out of this passage this morning. I know what you're thinking uh, this morning. You're thinking, oh, okay, I've heard this passage many, many times. Bear with me. This is a word from God. In fact, I'm going to be sharing with you mostly out of Scripture this morning. So if you don't like anything that I say, and surely you will, but if you don't like anything I say, just focus on the Word of God. If you want to have a, a, a guide to a greater day, you know what I'm going to say. You have to know what I'm going to say, especially if you looked at the passage that I just read. The first thing you want to do, I'm just going to give you three things, three things to do to have a better day, to have a greater day. And number one is to start with prayer. And again, I know you're, you're thinking, well, you're a preacher, uh, that's new, you know, preacher telling me to pray. Yeah, I get that. I got that. But that's not coming from me. Just look at the passage. This is actually the most essential part of the message and the most essential part of our day. Look what happened when they prayed. Look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Now I'm going to read a little more of the passage to you. It says, so they all got together. Peter gives a testimony. They prayed. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they all, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Now, just a couple things right off the bat in that passage. At the very beginning, it says, after the, they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Now, if you go out in Dallas traffic in the middle of rush hour and you come home, you might say, honey, something happened to me and I was really shaken. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not speaking emotionally or figuratively. I suspect, or I not suspect, I can assure you, it's speaking physically, literally, the place was shaken like an earthquake. The Spirit of God was there among his people in this church so powerfully that there was shaking going on. The place was shaken, not just the people, the place was shaken. Well, you know God shows up when there's shaking going on. And so it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. So there was power that came from prayer. And you also notice that it doesn't say before they prayed or as they prayed, but after they prayed. You know what I really like? I like the idea that God does his thing works a miracle in my life, gives me power for the day, and at the end of the day, after it's all over, I say, thank you, Lord. That ain't how it works. 
The prayer came first. They prayed, God showed up in power. Again, I want it to be the other way. I just ignore God, all I want, go about my day doing, doing my thing, and then God shows up and I say, thank you, Lord. That's not biblical. Biblically, after they prayed, the first word is after, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. So power came from prayer. Prayer, uh, power also came from unity. Actually, before I get that, uh, before I get there, I want to notice. I want you to notice one thing. It says, "And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke of the word of God boldly." I read this many times before I noticed this. Now, it's not that spoke the word of God boldly. The prayer gave them the 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 boldness. There is boldness in prayer. There's power in prayer. And so one of the results, uh, and we're going to see it again in another verse, in, in just the next verse or two, there is something that happens to our testimony after we pray. And there is power in that. But here's what I had not noticed. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's odd about that? This is after Pentecost. These people were at Pentecost, at least 3,000 of them were, and they got saved that day. And one of the evidence of their salvation was they were all filled with the Holy Spirit on that day. It just had described in the previous chapter the fact that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And here it is saying that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if they'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit, why does it mention they were filled with the Holy Spirit here? Now, I'll tell you that I'm Southern Baptist. In Southern Baptist circles, doctrinally, theologically, biblically, we don't teach a second blessing. And I know some of our charismatic brothers and sisters teach a second blessing. We don't teach that. That is, there's a certain point in your spiritual maturing where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to speak in tongues or ecstatic gifts and that you're going to then mature from that. That's a second blessing. We don't believe in, in our theology that the Bible actually teaches that. However, listen to me. I can't ignore the fact that it's talking about people who are already saved and already have the Holy Spirit and they were worshiping and they were praying and the Holy Spirit showed up in power. I can't explain that. I can only read it and understand that there is power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And even though as believers in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you want to sense and feel and, and observe and experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to do some praying. Amen. And that's what he says. Okay, all right with that. Uh, I probably made both Charismatics and Baptists mad just now. But <laughs> And so verse 32, there, there was power from prayer. There was also power from unity. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his... Uh, uh, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. Now, this is not the only time in this section of Acts that it mentions that. In the early church, it's, it's already said this before, that there was this wonderful unity among them. Let me tell you, there's, there's one great timeless strategy that Satan has to weaken Christ's church, and that is disunity. He knows if he can get us to looking in and bickering and, bickering and fighting with each other and arguing with each other, and there are factions in the church, like there was the church in Corinth, for example, he's got us. It will cripple us. 
And God is always warning us and challenging us to be united, to be one. God has been able to use First Baptist Church of Azel in large part because there has been peace and harmony and unity here. But understand that Satan is always trying to rip us apart. Don't let him. There was power that came from prayer and there was power that came from unity. And then there was power that came from testimony. It says they spoke the word with boldness. But look in verse 33. With great power, there's the word, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. Now, what's the difference between a testimony and a testimony with great power? The difference is people get saved in the second one. <laughs> when there's great power, it affects people's lives. It affects the way that you share your testimony. It's not just something that you do. It is an outpouring of your heart for what God has done in your life. And there was great power in their testimony. So begin your day with prayer. Do you pray? Now, I don't know an answer. I don't think anybody here would say, no, pastor, I never pray ever. Or my prayers are terrible. I don't really care that much. Everybody, surely, I would think if there is an atheist here, they would raise their hand. Uh, yeah, okay, I pray. Everybody prays. Do you pray with passion and with power? And you might even be asking yourself, why do I pray? Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Why can't we just love God and let God do his thing? Why do we need to pray? Of course, you might say the same thing about your spouse. Why do I need to talk to my spouse? We love each other. You know, see how that works. <laughs> Why do we pray? Now, I'm going to show you this little clip. And I, I won't, don't, don't get lost in the clip. It, it is very powerful. What this narrator says is actually profound doctrine. Listen closely to what he has to say. For centuries, Christians have been known as men and women of prayer, people who lift up their cares and concerns to the Father in heaven. Why is that? Why do we pray? We pray because it aligns the mind of the Christian with the will of Christ. We pray because Jesus commanded us to pray at all times, in all places. We pray because the God who knows all and sees all, hears all. We pray because it is the blessed link between human weakness and divine omnipotence. We pray not because it is some religious rule, but because the Lord is God. We pray because it is the most simple and practical way to say, I am not God. We pray not because it is a burden to us, but because it liberates us from all other burdens. We pray because it is exactly what the devil does not want us to do. We pray because God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. We pray because it is the one thing that supersedes everything else on our to-do list today. We pray because we are too busy not to pray. We pray because somewhere, sometime, someone prayed for us. And we pray because the greatest tragedy of the Christian life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Prayer is powerful. That's why we pray.
Well, my favorite part of that was, I think, the link or, or the, the statement that he made that, if I can remember it correctly, that prayer is the divine connection between the powerless and uh, divine omnipotence, is what he said. And that is so, so, so true. We don't just pray to ask God for stuff. Prayer is way beyond that. That's just short-sighting, short-changing prayer. And so I, I really appreciate those words. So the first thing you want to do to start your day, if you want to have a more powerful day, a better day, a stronger day, you begin it with prayer. Number two, and this is very simple, and right out of this passage, keep on going. That is, they didn't stop. The, the apostles were tenacious. They just wouldn't stop. The Pharisees were frustrated. The Sadducees were horrified and the, because they just kept going. They just kept preaching and people kept getting saved and healed and God kept moving. And how do you, how do you deal with that? They just wouldn't stop. So just keep on going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Look within our passage, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now, Satan wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs. Now, again, previously it was mostly Peter, but now it's all the apostles, the 12 apostles. They performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's there on the Temple Mount. No one else dared join them. <laughs> no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. But listen to this part. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, the people brought the sick uh, into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented, tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So just notice a couple of things in that. Again, he says they met together in, Col in Solomon's colonnade, that is, they met together at the temple. Now, if you're going to have a, an overnight megachurch of 5,000 people, where are you going to meet in the first century or any century? Well, Interestingly enough, the temple courts were huge. I don't even think the Israelites knew why God designed them so big. They were designed by God. By the way, if you go back to Solomon's temple, God actually gave the specifications for the temple and the temple courts. And God wanted them to hold at least 5,000 people. <laughs> God was already planning ahead for his church. And so they're filling up the place and they're teaching and preaching. So don't stop. And the first is don't stop meeting together. Don't stop meeting together. You keep meeting. Don't just imagine if all of those people got saved on the day of Pentecost and they all one by one came to Peter and said, see you Christmas. <laughs> see you next Easter. No, God's people are meant to to, to worship together, to, to, to experience this life and this calling together. So don't stop meeting together. Secondly, don't stop believing. Yes, I, I know that's a journey song, but there's no, really no other way to say it. Don't stop believing. That's good doctrine. Verse 14 says this. Nevertheless, more and more 
more and more men and women believed, there's that word, believed in the Lord and were added to the number. They didn't even join them there at the temple courts. It says nobody dared do that because they were afraid of the Pharisees. But the Holy Spirit is so powerful that just being in the area, I don't know what was happening, but the Spirit of God was moving beyond the temple and people were still coming to Christ. They were still believing. Don't stop meeting together. Don't stop believing. Because believing is, is essential. You and I can come and sit in church but if you don't believe, it's just kind of a big waste of time. There, there, is a, there is a step of faith that we must take, and that is a daily. Salvation is one step. It is the first step, and it is an everlasting step. Nothing can take that from us, but we are to, to exercise our faith and reaffirm our belief every single day of our life. Believing that God heals, believing that God has a plan, believe. In Acts chapter 5, verse 25, our next part of the passage, it says this, then someone came in and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing at the temple courts teaching the people. Now, now go back to the, the title page for just a minute. I don't want them to read anymore. There you go. Sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Here's what happened. Uh, the, the apostles just kept on going. They're there, they're teaching, everybody's getting saved. I'm thinking the Pharisees and the Sadducees are in full panic at this point because if the church of Jesus Christ continues to grow at this rate, there aren't going to be any Jews left. And that's a problem if you're a Jewish leader. And so they, they think we got to do something. And so they arrested, uh, again, arrested Peter and, and the apostles. And so they hold them in jail in, in the public jail, it says, overnight, and they're going to try them the next day, bring them back for, to, to pass judgment on them, and which is what they do. They arrest them, they throw them in jail. Well, during the night, an angel appears and breaks them out of jail. There's a jailbreak angel in heaven, and he breaks them out of jail, and he did it without even unlocking the jail cells because the next morning, the, the, the Sanhedrin met, the religious leaders, the Congress of the day met, and they said, okay, bring in the prisoners. So they went to the jail to get the prisoners, and the doors, it says, were still locked, but there were no prisoners in there. Of course, the jailer and everybody's dumbfounded. They don't know how they got out of there or when they got out of there. Well, and, and this is really interesting to me. The angel actually gives them a message. He doesn't just break them out. He gives them a message. Now, they could break out of the jail since the angel broke them out of jail. They could think, all right, here's our chance. We're just going to hightail it out of town. We're going to get out of Dodge, you know, because nobody breaks out of the jail in Dodge City and then just stays there by the jail. That would be crazy. They, they run off and then the posse goes after them and Mrs. Kitty says, good job or whatever. I haven't seen that in a while, but you understand that's, that's what you do. You get out of town. So the angel says to the apostles, he says, you know, here's what I want you to do guys. I want you to go right back to Solomon's colonnade and start teaching again. And you know what they did? They did that. As soon as it got daylight the next morning, as soon as they opened the, the gates to the temple, in went Peter and the apostles, and they're right in there teaching again. So while they're teaching, 
The Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, had them send for the prisoners. They go into the jail. There are no prisoners. They come back and say, hey, they're gone. As they're saying, hey, they're gone, we don't know where they are, somebody comes in with this report. All right, go back to Acts chapter 5, verse 25. Then someone came in and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. Listen to this part. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Not stone Peter and the apostles, stone the guards. Verse 27, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have, listen to what he says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Yeah, why would they be guilty of the man's blood? All they did was have him crucified. <laughs> so two things you want to notice from that. Number one, and this is hard for us as Americans, they did not have free speech. We're born and raised with that. It's embedded in our constitution. Even if it's a hypothetical sometimes, we understand that you and I have the right to share our faith. We have the right to say whatever we want to say. They did not have that right in the first century Palestine. They didn't have that right. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, decided what you could and could not say. And if they said you couldn't say it, you didn't say it. They were not accustomed to people just ignoring them. So when they had the last trial, they said, they sent them on their way and said, hey, uh, easy on the Jesus talk. I'd rather not mention that name anymore. And they expected, it's crazy, it's crazy to think, but they actually expect the disciples not to say anything about Jesus again, which of course they just completely ignored. And so it says, they made them appear, and he says, we gave you orders not to teach in his name. The second thing you need to notice is the, the Sanhedrin is in complete denial of having Jesus executed only a few months prior. They, they acting like they were on vacation, all of them, and there, were, there was a, a, you know, a, a fill-in Sanhedrin that was there, and they're the ones that had Jesus executed. They don't know anything about it. <laughs> Anyway, like it's not that you seem to be determined to make us guilty of this man just because we had him killed. Um, so uh, you just keep going on. And the disciples or the apostles are there and they don't stop. In fact, Peter, do you know what happens next? Peter gives them another sermon. Uh, and it's a, it just makes them mad as hornets. <laughs> They, they are so mad. They want to kill him right there. And so that brings us to the third thing you can do every day. First of all, is you look up. That is, you spend time in prayer. Secondly, you just keep on going. You keep moving. Don't quit. Don't give up. You keep on moving forward, just like the apostles did. And number three, keep your head up. Sometimes this is the hardest thing to do. Keep your head up. Uh, so Peter's response to the Sanhedrin was short and powerful. Look with me in Acts chapter 5, verse 30. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. He says this to the religious leaders, to the, to the religious experts of the day. This fisherman says this. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince 
and Savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Forgiveness of sins now comes through Christ. Well, they, they, it just blew their minds. Their heads popped when he said that. They want to kill him right there. What's interesting is there's one guy, an old guy, and you always hope there's one guy. <laughs> men, if there's a group of us men that get together, sometimes we, we do stupid men things. And you hope without our wives in the room. Now, if there's a wife there, she'll say, nope, you can't do that. <laughs> or, or no, you're going to get killed. No, no, just no. We can't afford that. <laughs> when you get a group of men together and there's no wives there, you hope that there's one wise man in the group. And there was one wise man, his name was Gamaliel. And he said, all right, let's, let's have the apostles leave for, for a minute. Let's, let's talk about this. They had a, a committee meeting. And so the apostles left and Gamaliel gets up. He's old and he's wise. And he says, you know what? There was this guy that came along a few years ago. Do you remember his name? His, his name was Theudas. Remember Theodos? He said he had, I think it was 400 followers. And he came along, and this is what Gamaliel said, he came along claiming to be somebody. Now that tells me that Theodos was claiming to be the Messiah. He said, but Theodos was executed. His followers were all scattered and it came to nothing. Do you remember he said after him was a guy named Judas from Galilee who started a revolt but he too was executed and it all came to nothing. He said to the, the, the Sanhedrin, he said, I caution you to consider very carefully about what you're about to do. And I think Gamaliel said that because he realized that if they executed these men, first of all, it's not just one guy, it's at least 12 guys, if not 5,000 people. And he says, before you go off and do something rash, I want you to consider this. If this is not of God, which it wasn't with Theodos and it wasn't with Judas, if this is not of God, it's going to fail. All of it will come to nothing as it did with those guys. He says, but, and I find this spectacular. He says, but if this is of God, you're just going to find yourself fighting God. Well, that shut them up. <laughs> They thought, we don't have to do anything. If it's not of God, it will fail. And you know what? Theologically, he's correct. Whatever you do in life and I do in life, whatever our Congress does in life, whatever, is, whatever the leader of North Korea does or anything else, if it's not of God, ultimately it's going to fail. We don't have to fester and worry about what every person on this planet is doing Afraid, afraid that somehow God's will is going this way and the world's going to go this way. The world doesn't pick its nose apart from God's providence. There's not a thing that we can do. There's not a decision that we can make. There's not a vote that can be had that God cannot overrule with the blink of an eye. And God's will will be done. And so that's what Gamaliel says to them. And they say, okay, yeah, you're right. And so that's what they did. Now, what's interesting is the next verse, Acts chapter 5, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. You know, that strategy worked so well last time. I'm sure it's going to go better this time. Verse 41. 
the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And again, they never stopped. They just kept going, just kept going. Now, I want you to notice what the apostles did. They rejoiced for suffering for Christ. I want you to notice what they did not do. Listen closely. I want you to notice what they didn't do. They have a lot of say. They got five or 6,000 people in their church at this time. That's a lot of people that are willing to live and die for Christ. They didn't plot to rid the world of that awful Sanhedrin. They could have gone back to the church. They could have called them to arms. Go get you a sword. Go get you a spear. We're going to go get them. And I tell you, those, those members of the Sanhedrin, those Pharisees and Sadducees, probably would not have survived the night. The disciples could have done that, but they didn't. They could have, instead of militarily going after the Sanhedrin, they could do what our media likes to do. They could have destroyed their reputation. They could have passed around rumors all over town of what, how terrible that Sanhedrin is and how awful they are, and how they should be overthrown. But they didn't do that either. They didn't go on the news or on talk shows and display their scars and complain about injustice or how they were the victim and it's just not fair at all because they were so mistreated. Because did you notice this one word passes so quickly in verse 40, his speech persuaded them, they called the apostles in and they had them what? They had them flogged. What does flogged mean? Yeah, they had them beaten, probably almost beaten to death, the 39 lashes kind of thing. They had them beaten severely. And I can guarantee you, however much they had them beaten, they had scars on their backs for the rest of their lives. Now, they probably had more scars than this by the time they died, but this was the first time they were flogged. Have you ever been flogged? Now, I, I know some of you older ones, yeah, because we had this plum tree in our backyard and those switches were painful and my daddy would take a switch to us. I'm not talking about that. I mean, real flogging where you have scars all over your back. You and I don't even fathom that kind of persecution, but the disciples had that. And as they go home, they are in pain. They're bleeding. And they probably turn to each other and say, look, John, you're bleeding worse than I am. And they're, you know, over here, there's Peter. He's a real bleeder. Because <laughs> they're, they're hurting. And I, I can imagine if you and I were flogged. Oh, the belly aching. Oh, the moaning. What did they do? The, the apostles, verse 41, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then day after day, day after day, they just kept preaching. Now listen, Christians are treated in the U.S. with tremendous disrespect. I won't question that. It's true. Christianity in the United States has become hate speech. The Bible has become hate speech in the minds of many. 
how Christians are treated around the world are, is despicable, is horrible. They say that right now more Christians are dying for their faith than any time in history. In part because there are more Christians now everywhere in every corner of the world. Don't you know that the God who healed the crippled man and who broke the disciples out of jail and healed all those that were wounded could have intervened and stopped the beating of the disciples. Don't you know God sent that angel to the jail cell to break them out? That when the disciples were being beaten, maybe they thought, well, where's that angel? Where's an angel when you need them? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? God had angels. Legions of them he could have sent to stop that beating, but he allowed the beating to happen. And they could have walked out of there bleeding, going, God, why did you do this to me? We say that a lot. Every bad thing that happens, why did you do this? Why did you take my loved one? Why did you allow me to get this? Or why did you allow me to get fired? Or this or that or the other. We think that every bad thing that happens to us in our life is God's direct doing and it's his fault. Where do we get that? I don't know. God is good. And because he's a good God, every good that he does is good. He doesn't need to do evil things. He doesn't do bad things. Bad, evil people do that because we live in a fallen world. And why is the world fallen? That's on us, not on God. And so uh, instead of whining and complaining about the Sanhedrin or whining and complaining about God, why didn't he intervene in this? No, it was to their blessing. Don't you know that those marks on their back were their crowning glory. They were evidence for all of their life of what they gave for their Savior, and they were happy to do it. And it may be that here in the United States, the problem with the church isn't that we are undergoing too much persecution. Maybe the problem is we're not going through enough. Because I would love to be able to say, I bear the marks of loving my Savior. Keep going. Keep your head up. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and forgive us, we ask, for those times that we just are so frail. We give up too easily. We first of all go through our day without a single prayer to you. We don't even think about you until things are tough and then we blame you. Oh, forgive us. I pray that you would help us today to remember that there is power in prayer. Help us to remember that you have called us for a purpose, the greatest purpose that any human being could ever have, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a dying world. That we're to keep going. If things happen in our life and we become physically hurt, that we just keep going. We keep sharing. As long as we have a voice, as long as we can meet people, that we keep going. As long as we can post things that glorify you, we keep posting. Whatever we can do to fulfill our purpose, our commission in Christ, to bring you glory, that we keep going. And when things go south, when we are persecuted or mocked or prosecuted, 
and for so many Christians around the world as they are beaten and they show the marks on their body of their faith in Christ, even to the point of death, that we're reminded it is for your glory that they gave their life and you're taking good care of them in heaven. We have no reason to complain because we are victors in Christ. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you to do this? First of all, you, how much have you prayed today? It's Sunday morning. Other than the official prayers while ago, have you done any praying today? I challenge you to come down and get on your knees, spend some time in prayer just for a few minutes. Just pour it out to God. Secondly, you may have been challenged to give up recently. I challenge you to say to your God today, God, I've been tempted to give up, but I'm not going to do it. I will keep on going. I'm going to keep meeting together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to keep doing what you call me to do. I'm going to keep going. And some of you have been so barraged with this secular world. People have humiliated you into silence as a Christian. And you need to come to God and say, God, today I'm going to hold my head high. I am not going to apologize for being a Christian. I'm not going to apologize for believing the Bible is true. Whatever happens, I will hold my head high and consider it pure joy that I get to suffer for you. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. You just want to come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or you want to surrender your life to Jesus just like so many did. Acts chapter 4 and 5. Or maybe you just want to come and pray. This is your opportunity. If the Spirit is leading you, you come. Would you stand? Everyone stands. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as we stand and as we pray right now, you come.